This is Things That Really Matter, a podcast by Global Multidisciplinary Engineers Kundal that is dedicated to creating new and innovative solutions for the built environment and driving the agenda towards a more sustainable future. Join us as we discuss the challenges and changes that affect the built environment around the world with the brightest minds in our industry. Hello and welcome to the Things That Really Matter podcast. I'm Rick Navarro, Head of Clients and Marketing at APAC with Kundal. And today I have the great pleasure of having with me Carol O'Neill. Carol joined Kundal in 2005 as HR Director. And on the 1st of July this year, Carol was appointed as Managing Partner of Kundal Global. Carol, welcome to the Things That Really Matter. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Carol, I'm going to take you all the way back to your days at Oxford Uni, where you studied law. You graduated with a bachelor's in law, as I understand it, did not practice law. So I'm keen to find out in what ways this law degree provided the foundation for your career journey. It's funny because I knew from being very small that I wanted to be a lawyer and realised very quickly once I started studying law that I didn't, in fact, want to be a lawyer. But the law degree was actually a really great academic foundation for probably any number of careers. And I kind of fell into HR. But the, I suppose the analytical thinking skills that you develop during a law degree have been very useful. But also because a lot of HR and employment law is based on statutes or on contracts or on case law, the ability that that degree gave me to kind of understand and interpret those kind of things has been really useful pretty much since day one. And what's interesting there is you touched on uh, human relations and management, which has really been the focus of your career. Um, You've placed a significant emphasis on, I think, putting the human element at the heart of business success. So how have you seen uh, this people focus become even more prominent over the last 20 years? And From your perspective, what do you think some of the key differences are now to when you started your career? So I have always worked in professional services in some capacity. So all of the organisations that I've worked in, the the people have been the product to some extent. Um, So they've always been pretty pretty central to what those businesses have been trying to achieve and the levels of service that they've been trying to deliver to their clients. But I think there's been a definite shift in working culture during the course of my career and a a move from, I suppose, more transactional relationships between people and the businesses that they're working in towards much more of a kind of relationship-based arrangement. And I think we've certainly seen higher expectations from employees particularly with regard to what they want to see from their leaders, how they want to be led, how they want to be managed, how they want to be looked after. Um, And in relation to personal and professional development, I think there's been much more of a focus on well-being as part of that employee value proposition um, over the course of my career, which has been interesting to see. And I'm sure we'll get to this over the course of our conversation. There's There's been a lot of changes sort of during COVID and post-pandemic. So I think that's accelerated the, the rate of change as well. That's fascinating. Yeah. And, and actually, let's, let's dive straight into that. So speaking of COVID-19 and the pandemic, I mean, that has created all sorts of ripple effects and changes across the globe. And of course, lessons for business. So from your perspective, I'm really keen to find out what's been 
the greatest insight that you've taken from the past two and a half years? I think there's been so much that has been interesting over the past two and a half years from a people and management and leadership perspective. I think the pandemic has un- undoubtedly accelerated the move to home working, hybrid working, remote working. I think we've seen changes that would probably have taken another 10 years to see in business, possibly even more, um, because I think the fact that everybody was or a lot of people were forced to work from home for a period have has really required businesses to up their game, not only from a kind of technology perspective to support that remote and hybrid working, but more importantly, I guess, from a management and leadership perspective. I think we have had to accelerate that shift towards trusting people to deliver the goods without kind of close day-to-day supervision. And it has required a very different style of management. So I think managers and leaders in our business, but in all businesses, have really had to think differently about how they how they oversee what their teams are doing, but also how they look after people from a pastoral point of view, because I think it's been much more difficult when everyone has been scattered and working from their dining room table or their spare bedroom or wherever they've been working to do that stuff that happens, I suppose, naturally in an office environment where you just kind of check in with people and say, how are you doing? Is everything okay? What do you need? So managers, and myself included, when it's come to leading my own team, have had to be, I think, much more intentional about that kind of informal stuff that would have happened in an office environment. I think the fact that the lines between work and home have become more blurred than they've ever been before has been both positive and negative for people, Um, somewhat depending on people's personal circumstances. I think we've all had different challenges with home working, depending on what we have at home in terms of commitments. But I think there's been a lot of positive change in that regard as well, in that people have been able to take time during what would have been a traditional working day to perhaps deal with some of their domestic commitments and then kind of get that time back over the weekend. So it's it swings and roundabouts a little bit, but it's certainly been interesting to observe. So you raised some really good points there, Carol, and I think you only have to look at some of Kundal's competitors to realise the overwhelming majority of CEOs are themselves engineers. So when we speak of change... As a female non-engineer, do you feel that there is some sort of an additional unspoken scrutiny or added pressures for you stepping into what is essentially a global CEO managing partner role? It's definitely created some interest and some discussion, both internally and externally. Um, I think it's had quite a lot of coverage in the industry press, which has been nice to see. Um, It has been overwhelmingly positive, though. I think there have been questions about how is this going to work, um, more so around the non-engineer part than the, the female part. I think in many ways, I have found the questions about how are you going to do this as a non-engineer easier to answer because there's a bunch of incredibly talented engineers around this business who can deal with all of that technical stuff. You know, I am absolutely surrounded by them and there are loads of people who are well-placed to deal with those elements of the role and free me up to concentrate on looking after the business and the, the people who work within it. The question about being a female leader in the industry is... The one that I've actually found harder to answer, and I have been asked it a few times, you know, people have said, how do you feel about being a woman? And my answer to that is, well, 
I don't really feel anything about it because it's not something that's ever really something that I've given a huge amount of thought to. Um, and I would like to think that I've um, been asked to undertake this role for the next period because the business felt I was the right person to do it, almost irrespective of, of any of that stuff. Of course, yeah. And good leaders are good leaders, regardless of you know, race, gender and other issues. So we're in APAC at the moment. So I understand back in 2018 and 19, you actually spent 18 months working across several offices in the APAC region. So as you reflect on that particular time in your career, what were some of the highlights of your time within the APAC region? It's actually really hard to pick any particular highlights because I absolutely loved almost every minute of the time I spent in this part of the world. It was a really fantastic experience, both professionally and personally. I met some fantastic people. I had some great experiences. I I guess I went into it with the intention of really putting myself outside of my comfort zone. I, I knew that I was being given this fantastic opportunity to experience new things at work and kind of personally and socially. And I made a conscious decision to sort of grab those opportunities with both hands and to get out there and squeeze every last drop out of the experience. I learned so much from the time that I spent here. I got exposure to things that I probably wouldn't have experienced had I stayed in my kind of day job back in the UK. And I think it is safe to say that I wouldn't be sitting here in this new role as managing partner if I didn't have that experience on my on my CV. So it was fantastic in pretty much every way you can imagine. And I'm sure one of those unusual experiences was wondering what the hell we were doing with that funny shaped ball kicking it around and uh, an oval field through very large posts. Um, switching gears a little bit um, and talking strategy, I'm, I'm really keen to find out with the support of the management board, what sort of insights you can you can give our listeners into what are your top three or four priorities for the business over the coming 18 to 24 months? I think one of our key priorities as a management board is to really help everybody around the business focus their time, their effort, their talent on the things that really matter and to provide clarity over where we're trying to get to as a business and how the 1,000 plus people who work within Cundall can really contribute to that whilst building meaningful careers for themselves. So it's about providing that, that clarity and that focus. And so we've spent a lot of time over the last several months kind of distilling those key strategic priorities in broadly four areas. So we're looking at clients and markets, we're looking at culture, we're looking at delivery excellence, and we're looking at zero carbon design. And the end game really is to get all of the activities going on across the business aligned behind one or more of those strategic priorities. So there's a lot of work to do, but I think job number one is to get the structure and the accountability processes within the business right. We need to build some really high performing leadership teams. We've got fantastic leaders around the business, but some of those leadership groups are still in the reasonably early stages of their development. And we're, we're on a journey with that. Um, we're also going to be spending quite a lot of time in this first phase of my leadership, I suppose, focusing on reviewing the markets in which we're operating and getting clear about where our sweet spot is as a business and where we ought to be pursuing those opportunities with really great clients to do really great work. 
And in parallel with that, we've got some work to do on our administrative processes internally to really drive efficiency and reduce pressure on people. I think there's a sense around the business, particularly post-pandemic, as we all get back to something a little bit closer to normal and adapt to hybrid working, agile working, that people are people are tired, people are kind of burnt out. And some of that is because we're not doing everything as efficiently as we could be across the business. So there is a, a significant piece of work to do there as well. And I think that's it's really spells for exciting times ahead for the business globally um, with some of what you've unpacked there. And I'm, I think it goes without saying that there's going to be a lot of change, but a lot of positive change across all regions. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about Carol, the person, not the CEO. And I was really impressed to learn that you are a passionate, highly skilled and actually highly decorated power lifter. Now, for my benefit, and perhaps for some of our listeners as well, what exactly is powerlifting? And how did you get into it? You may have to stop me here because I could talk about this <laughs> until the cows come home. I get I get a bit overexcited on this topic. Um, so powerlifting in summary, as a three-lift sport, it's different to weightlifting, which is what you'll be used to seeing on the Olympics. So we do we do different lifts um, and we get three attempts on each of those three lifts to lift as much weight as we can, essentially. So we compete in age and weight categories. And the, the end game is to lift the largest number you can compared with your competitors. So there's a little bit more tactical thinking that needs to go on compared with weightlifting because you can't just keep going until you can go no more. Um, but I love it. In terms of how I got into it, it was completely by accident. I was lifting and training in the gym just for general health and fitness reasons and ended up down an internet rabbit hole one day researching some things and stumbled across powerlifting. It wasn't a sport I really knew anything about. And thought that it looked like it might be fun. So I signed myself up to a novice competition just near to where I live in the UK and went along and did that with, in all honesty, no clue what I was doing and loved it. And I met some fantastic people. It's just a great community. And since then, I've been lucky enough to complete, compete all over the world. I've competed here in Australia. I've competed at national and international level. And I think it's safe to say that some of my best friends in the whole world now are people who I've met through the sport of powerlifting. So I, I love it. Well, it sounds like it's going to come in very handy with some heavy lifting to do at Kundal <laughs> over the next few years. Um, and look, in wrapping up, Carol, what's, what's the one piece of wisdom you would actually say if you could go back to the 20-year-old version of yourself? Gosh, 20-year-old me, that was a long time ago. Um, it's kind of hard to pick just one. Can I, can I have a few? Of course. I think the first thing I would say is be authentic. I think when you're mm -hmm. in the kind of early stages of your career, it's tempting to feel as though you kind of need to be something that you're not. And I've learned over the course of my working life that you, you don't actually just show up and be yourself and be clear about your values and you'll, you'll get on. Um, I guess the second thing is, is find your tribe, I suppose. I have been incredibly lucky to be surrounded both within the business and externally by just a fantastic network of mentors, advocates, cheerleaders. And that has been game changing. You know, I wouldn't have achieved any of the things that I've achieved professionally in powerlifting in life without that network of people around me. So, you know, find, find your support network, find your cheerleaders. And 
I guess finally coming back to I suppose the experience I had over here on assignment, just put yourself out there, do stuff that scares you, take risks, because you're always going to regret the things you didn't do more than the things you did do. Yeah, some really good advice there. And and I think that uh, many of us would probably be feeling the same way if we could in fact go back in time and speak to our younger selves. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Carol, and want to thank you for your time in unpacking Um, what is a remarkable journey that you've had and no doubt are on at the moment. So thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. And just a reminder for anyone who's listening, you can access this and all other Kundal podcasts on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for listening and until next time, remember to embrace life. This is a podcast by Condor, the first engineering consultancy to be certified carbon neutral by the Carbon Trust.